If you would, I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Romans this morning. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 will be the passage that we'll focus on today. The Lord has blessed us with just another good and encouraging week. Things that my daughter Emma has been doing seem to be getting a little stronger with her head control and her core muscles. This week, uh, we did feel her move her left arm, and so we were very, very thankful. So keep praying. Keep praying. Amen. Praise be to God for that. Last week, we began thinking about Advent. We can truly say that with the lighting of the Advent candle, we have entered that season now. Remember, Advent is not just about celebrating the birth of Jesus. Advent helps us to remember where we are in the big scope of things. We, too, are waiting. We are waiting for our Lord Jesus to return. So Advent teaches us about that waiting. And this morning with the lighting of the first candle, we turn our attention to hope. How do we wait without losing hope? How do we endure without giving up? That's the issue I want us to think of this morning. And for our text, we look at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the grace you give us that we can call you Father. For Lord, we recognize that left on our own and by our own nature, we are children of wrath. So we thank you this morning for your grace given to us and the gift of faith that has caused us to be born again and adopted into your family so that we can be called children of the Most High God. We thank you, Lord, that not only have you instructed us to call you Father, but Lord, you tell us to come to you and to call you Dad. So Father, that's what we do this morning. We ask you to draw us close unto yourself. We ask you, Lord, to give us ears to hear you. And Dad, we ask you to please renew within us a right spirit. And focus our minds and our hearts upon the hope of the gospel. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus, who is the Christ. And the church said, Amen. This past Wednesday night, as we, in my mind anyway, officially began the Christmas season with the joint choir concerts with the Jonesboro Ministerial Association, my mind went back to an event that took place when I was in college. 
Wednesday night we were singing that very familiar carol, The First Noel. And my mind went back to my senior year when I was privileged to be a part of the President's Council. That was a group of the organizations upon campus who would work to do things at school. And we decided that year for Christmas we were going to oversee the construction of four large plywood boxes that would be painted to look like presents. And these gifts, these large boxes, would then be placed underneath one of the large evergreen trees on campus to celebrate the birth of Jesus. So we prepared the boxes, painted them up like gifts, and then decided for an added extra dose of Christmas spirit that we would write on each one a letter, N-O-E-L, Noel, and then put each box out there. What we underestimated, however, was the dare that this put in front of college students. It wasn't long after we put the boxes out that we woke up and I looked out there to see that the letters had been rearranged to spell the word Elon, who was, of course, one of our school's rivals. But that wasn't the best one. My favorite was this. The morning we looked out to see that the letters had been rearranged to spell Leon. I don't know if Leon was responsible, but he had to get a good kick out of seeing his name immortalized under the Christmas tree. In many ways, that's exactly what happens in life, isn't it? We make our plans, don't we? We get the letters all lined up into how things are to be laid out, and then all of a sudden, things are rearranged. Problems happen that we didn't anticipate. Our plans fall through. And life seems to be rearranged and it's in those moments that we need to be reminded of the hope that we have in the gospel. When I speak of hope, the hope that even in the midst of life being jumbled up, we do not lose heart, I'm defining hope as this. Hope is the confident expectation of a positive outcome. Hope is the confident expectation of a positive outcome. You see, hope is not a superficial optimism. It's not a, a naivete that refuses to recognize the difficulties of life. Hope is not like what occurred to a little boy who begged his parents every Christmas for a pony. This little boy would beg nonstop, can I have a pony? Can I have a pony? And he did this to the point that his older brothers got sick and tired of hearing him ask for a pony. So this Christmas they decided to play a joke on him. Without his parents' knowledge, they went out into the pasture behind the house and they scooped up a cow patty. Please don't let me define what a cow patty is. You get the picture. They put it in a box, wrapped it up the day before Christmas, put their brother's name on it, and put it under the tree. The time came and the little boy opens the gift and much of the parents chagrin, they see what's there. But this little boy looks at this cow patty in front of him in the box. He looks up and says, there's a pony around here somewhere. <laughs> That's not the definition of hope. Hope is the, the confident expectation of a positive outcome. I refer to it as a stubborn assurance that good will come to pass. And hope is extremely important. Neuroscientist Talia Shero has come to argue that humans are hardwired for hope. I believe that. I believe we are hardwired for hope because we were made to seek God who is the source of hope. 
But hope is so integral to our being that studies done by neuroscientists have found this. College students who are hopeful on average have higher GPAs and are more likely to graduate if they are characterized by hope. Hopeful athletes perform better on the field, cope better with injuries, and have greater mental adjustments when situations change. And even among the elderly, a study was done and found that those who are hopeless were more than twice as likely to pass away before the study follow-up period was completed than those who are hopeful. In other words, those who are hopeful had longer lifespans. We are made to hope. Billy Graham once said that man can live up to 40 days without food, up to three days without water, and up to five minutes without air, but cannot live one second without hope. You and I need the confident expectation that things will work out for the good. We were hardwired to seek God, but therein lies the problem. We begin to seek hope in different places. Some begin to cope in hope in their own ability to cope with things, to figure things out, believing that their own ingenuity is what will see them through. They have a healthy dose of rugged individualism. The only problem is they gear up for a short dash when our life is a marathon. And soon they find that their own powers, their own abilities fall far short of what they need to hope. Hoping in self is a poor substitute for God. Others will place their hope in other people. I don't have to remind any of us that at some point or another people will let us down. That's the reality of living in a fallen world. Hoping in others is a poor substitute for God. Others hope in the latest and the greatest project, the latest and greatest thing. That if I get this, this program, this method is what will give me hope to bring about change. And soon after they continue to pay $19.99 a month for month after month, they find out their hope was misplaced. Still there are others who will say they've put their hope in God. They have lived out Psalm 20 verse 7 where it says, Some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Yet, yet they say, I believed in God, but God has let me down. This morning, I want to show you from this passage that hope in God never disappoints. That even though we may not understand and we may struggle with what God is doing, hope in God never disappoints. Even as Habakkuk said, even if the fig tree doesn't blossom, even if there is no fruit on the vine, and even if the olive crop fails, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Romans 5, 1 through 5 explains why we can have such hope and joy in the Lord. Now up to this point, the book of Romans has taught us that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the main point of Romans chapters 1 through 3. Whether you are a religious person, if you do not know Jesus, you will face God's wrath in hell. If you are an irreligious person and do not believe in any truth at all, you will face eternity in hell without believing in Jesus Christ. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is the common human problem. But then in Romans 4, Paul shows us the cure for that problem. 
It is believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ that we can be saved from God's wrath by faith in Jesus. That is the hope we have. And not only can we be saved, but that by faith the goodness of Jesus Christ is credited to our account before God. And he says in Romans 4, that has been God's plan of salvation from the beginning. You shall be justified by believing in God. In Jesus Christ. Now, that's why he begins chapter 1 or chapter 5, verse 1, with the word therefore. Look what he says. Since we have been justified by faith. So here's the first reason hope in God does not disappoint. Because as a Christian, you have a never-ending relationship with God. Since we have been justified by faith. Now, justified is one of those churchy words that we hear and often pass over. But it is a word that we dare not forget. To be justified means to be made right. It means that there was a legal wrong that committed against someone. But that wrong has now been rectified. And our wrong was this. We were in rebellion against God. We were enemies against God. Disregarding His law. Doing whatever we wanted to do. But because we have been made right with God by faith. Because the relationship now has been made whole. The problem solved. The issue rectified. We have peace with God. Now that phrase peace is a relational word. It speaks of reconciliation. You see you can never be justified with God without having a relationship with Him. Nor can you have a relationship with God without being justified with God. They go together. To speak of knowing God without being justified is nonsense. To be justified with God is to be reconciled with Him. And to be reconciled means you have been made right with God. They go together. The relationship restored because our lawlessness has been forgiven in Jesus Christ. And because that relationship has been reconciled it means this we have been adopted into the family of God we have been forgiven we have been made whole we have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and we have entered into a relationship with God that will never ever change as the scripture says believer if God is for you who can be against you and guess what we have here upon the word of God we have peace with God obtained through Jesus Christ which means you and I have a relationship with God that no earthly situation can destroy that no earthly problem can obliterate that no hard circumstance can eradicate we have a relationship with God and because God is the source of peace if you have a relationship with God you can know a peace that can never be taken away since God is the source of joy and you have a relationship with God who is the source of joy that joy can endure forever and because God is love and you have a relationship with God that can never be severed you can know love no matter what the circumstance is that can never stop never change a few years ago I was out trimming our our hedges in front of the house and we have one of those electric hedge clippers and I was out there doing my thing that my, my hedge clippers even got a swivel thing on it I can make rounded edges with my hedge trimmer so I'm cutting away now the only problem is it's an electric hedge trimmer which means it has to have an extension cord for me to do my thing I found out very quickly when you are trimming hedges with an electric extension excuse me with an, uh, an electric hedge trimmer and extension cord you better know where that extension cord is 
I found that out the hard way. You get into an extension cord with your hedge trimmer and it stops you real quick. I came in, my hair had been curled. But the power was gone. Why well, had been severed? Don't work if it's severed. Our relationship with God will never be cut or severed. You may say, well, why don't I experience that? The issue is not that the relationship is there. It's this. Are you availing yourself of that relationship? If you refuse to talk to God, how can you know the joy that God gives? If you refuse to be in the Word, how can you know the love that God gives? It is not an issue of the relationship being severed. It is an issue of you growing in that relationship. Because guess what? We have a hope in God because our relationship with Him will never end. And because He is gracious in giving us that connection, look at the second reason our hope doesn't disappoint. It's this in verse 2. God gives us the grace we need daily. Look at verse 2. Through Him, that's through Jesus. Jesus is the key to all this. We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Through Jesus, we have access to the grace. That word access means introduction. We have been introduced. And the word is a formal word. In other words, this is saying this is not an introduction that you barge in and make on your own. This is an introduction where you need someone to go before you to introduce you to that grace. So he is saying that Jesus Christ has graciously condescended to us to bring us into, give us access to, introduce us to this grace of God. Now the grace that I'm speaking of is God's favor. A favor that forgives us of past sins. But grace is more than just a past Tense experience. Grace is something we live in, breathe in, drink in every day. We never get beyond our need for the grace of God. We need God's grace. We are sustained by God's grace. He has saved us. He is saving us. And He will save us. That's why He says this grace into which we stand by faith. This invitation to stand in grace is a fulfillment of what David talked about in the 23rd Psalm. When he finishes this incredible song, he says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Brothers and sisters, if we are standing in grace, living in grace, breathing grace, it is around us every day of our life but it gets even better he says and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever God has given you grace to be in his presence so that wherever you are you are in his house and believer he dwells within you so that wherever you are you are at God's house you don't have to wait to come into this building you gather together with other believers you are in the house of God you kneel down to pray God's presence is there with you why because you stand in his grace now I know the questions that come up but pastor I don't always feel that grace you don't have to feel it to know that it's true I like the story that Gardner Webb says I'm sorry Gardner Taylor he grew up preaching in Louisiana in the depression it was a big deal when his church this small rural church got electricity They were thrilled when they could wire the church for power and they had one light bulb hanging over the congregation. And because they had light, guess what they did? They started having services at night. Talk about radical. He said one night he's preaching, the light bulb is illuminating all of its 60 watt power and they've gathered and they're worshiping God when a thunderstorm rolls through. 
And this storm knocks the electricity out and their light goes off. He says, I'm a young preacher. I don't know what to do. So I'm standing there. The congregation's kind of quiet when I hear one of the elderly deacons say this. He says, preach on, preacher. We can still see Jesus in the dark. And Gardner Taylor said, I realized then it wasn't as much that we can see him in the dark that he sees us. His grace is there. Sustaining us in ways we do not know. Sustaining us in ways we cannot understand. His grace is given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have hope because we have a relationship that is not severed. We have hope because He supplies the grace we need. And we have hope because of the glory of God. Look at the end of verse 2. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That word glory is a weighted word. Literally. The Hebrew word for glory, kabod, means weightiness. The heaviness of who God is. It's a reference to God's majestic presence. The luminosity that surrounds the being of God. Glory is a reference to what the angels came in when the shepherds encountered them that night outside of Bethlehem. When it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. There's something attractive about that that makes us long for that. But glory also refers to the character of God. In Exodus 33, 34, Moses says, show me your glory. God says, I'm going to make my mercy, my loving kindness, my justice pass in front of you. So the glory of God encompasses the total being of God. The physical manifestations of His presence. The luminosity that is around Him as well as His character. But here's the thing. Remember in chapter 3, we fall short of this. We want it, but can't attain it. We need it, but it would kill us. We fall short of God's glory, of His being, and of His character. So what has changed between chapter 3, where we can't reach it, and chapter 5, where now we rejoice in the hope of that glory? And I would tell you the answer is Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. That by His sacrifice now, where we wanted but dreaded the glory of God, we rejoice in the hope of experience. That And we are told throughout the scripture that we will grow in that glory from glory unto glory unto glory. That when Jesus appears, he will come with great glory and power. And we will be changed into that glory. And we will be glorified with the holy people of God. And when he returns, creation will be liberated from bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God we have a glory that awaits us we experience bits of it now but one day we will experience it in its totality and it is more than we could ever imagine remember what Paul said these light momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory we need to remember that church I was reminded of that of this past week for, for some one odd reason or another. I went back to a story I'd heard of a funeral service performed at a church in Philadelphia. A young man by the name of Clarence had tragically been killed. The church gathered together for a funeral service, but in this church, their tradition was this for the believer. Funeral services at this church were not somber occasions. It was a time where they celebrated the grace of God and the glory of heaven. So the choirs were singing and it came time for the preacher to preach and he stood up and he preached for 20 minutes. First 10 minutes he spoke 
to the congregation. But for the last 10 minutes, he did something that I would never do. He walked out of the pulpit, walked around to the casket, and began preaching to Clarence. Clarence, there were a lot of things we wanted to tell you, but now we can't. We wanted to tell you that we loved you. Clarence, we wanted to tell you that you were a fine young man. And he went on and on and on. And then finally he said, Clarence, there's one last thing we got to say to you. Clarence, we got to tell you good night. And with that, this pastor reached up and he closed the casket. And then he turned around to the congregation and he said, But notice, I said to Clarence, Good night, not goodbye. Because Clarence, there's going to be a great getting up morning. There's going to be a morning where when the dawn breaks and the glory shines, we will praise His name. And then the choir stood up and they started singing on that great getting up morning. That is the hope of glory. To know that our grief does not have the last word. To know that our troubles do not have the last word. To know that our problems do not have the last word. That the Lord Jesus is and has the last word. And His word is victory. That's the hope of glory. So you see, church, we have a relationship that cannot be severed. We have the, the grace we need each day. We have a hope of something that is far better beyond that we can experience. And we also know this, that even now, God is working His purpose. Look at verses 3 through 5. Not only that, it's as if Paul's saying, if that was not enough, we rejoice in our sufferings. And I'm going to come back to rejoice in a moment. But he says, we rejoice in our sufferings. The phrase sufferings there is a broad term. It means the troubles of life. It means the persecution we endure as believers. It means the ups and downs. It means the snap, crackle, pop you experience when you get out of bed each morning. And I'm not talking about the cereal. We rejoice in our sufferings. How can we do that? Knowing. Knowing. Not feeling. But knowing that our suffering produces endurance. In other words, the suffering we encounter is accomplishing a greater purpose. Part of that purpose is endurance, steadfastness, not giving up. And guess what? The attitude of not giving up, verse 4, produces character. Character there refers to, I think of it like tempered steel. It's made strong through the fire. It's a character of, the, of a veteran who's gone through many battles looking at a raw recruit and saying, this is what you need to do to survive. So he says God's working a character within you. And that character produces hope. How does forged character produce hope? Because that type of character knows the grace of God that will sustain and can say to others, don't give up because God is at work. Now notice this doesn't say the trials end or are resolved easily, but that God is doing something in the midst of them that is of eternal value. The trials will end. They'll be done. But the character God creates within you will be to His glory forever. And they will bring praise to Him. And praise is joy. So as we experience this joy, look at what He says next. This hope is not going to embarrass us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. We experience this love because the Spirit of God is within us. Now, how, could, how can we live like this? Four reasons not to give up. 
You have a relationship that's not severed. You have the grace you need for today. You have a hope of a better tomorrow. And you know God's working within you to create something of eternal significance. I would tell you this. Direct your mind to this hope. I ask you to make that commitment. Don't be ruled by your emotions. Direct your mind. That's why he says we rejoice in our sufferings. The key word, knowing. This is not about feeling. Your feelings will be up and down. But he says you go back to the fact, the truth that you know God is at work. Set your focus upon Christ. Just like Peter when he walked on the water. Keep your focus upon him. I like the example that Pastor John Piper gave when he was diagnosed with cancer. He found himself getting consumed with reading about cancer. To the point it was discouraging and just depressing him. So he made this commitment. He said, for every five articles I read about cancer, I'm going to read one thing about Jesus. He said, that way I want to keep rooted in who Jesus is. I want to keep rooted in the grace. Keep rooted in the glory. And so we encourage one another. Be in the Word. Don't dwell on your circumstances. Look in the Word. Encourage one another to know these things. Direct your mind. Have a talk with yourself. Say to yourself, self, look to Jesus. Know He's at work. The second thing I encourage you to do is just what Paul says here. Rejoice. That word means boast. Praise Him. Engage in worship to help refocus your mind. And not just times corporately to come and refocus your mind upon the hope of the gospel. But learn to worship to say, Father, this is hard, but yet I will thank you. Lord, I know this is difficult, but I will trust you to learn to rejoice, to direct your emotions toward Him and your focus toward Him. To know that He is at work. I was reminded of this in a very odd way over the weekend. One of the things that my family always did in the winter whenever cold weather started to hit is, hit, is we would buy a, a big jigsaw puzzle. and We'd sit around and work it, take several days. If it was a snow day, it was even better. One night this week while I was sitting with Emma so Jody and Samuel could go out, they came back with four 500-piece jigsaw puzzles. They set into working them. So they're working away, and I start remembering that whenever we would do this as a family, my son Samuel would always get one piece, and he would hide it. Irritated Emma to death. Why are you doing that? Because he forgot he hid it one time. He said, Samuel, why are you taking a piece of the puzzle and hiding it? He said, because it is so satisfying to put that last piece of the puzzle in. Isn't it? You've got that last piece, and you're the one. There it is. It dawned on me. Our God's got the last piece of the puzzle. He's not only got the last piece, He's the one that designed the puzzle. He's the one that's leading us and putting it together. And in the end, He'll put that last piece in. So have hope. Have hope. We can't figure it out, it's okay. Our hope is in God. We have a relationship that can't be severed. Grace we need for today. A hope that goes into eternity. And we know he's working now for something within us for his glory. Is that where your hope is? I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. Nathan and I are going to be in the front. We're going to give you a chance to respond. 
as we begin to sing, there may be something you're struggling with and you are feeling overwhelmed and in despair. This is an invitation if you want to come and to kneel and to pray, this altar is open for you to do that. If you'd like me or Nathan to pray with you, both of us are here to do that. But if you just want to come, there are two kneeling benches up here, one on either side of the communion table. They're open. You could come even now. You don't have to wait for us to start to sing. Sometimes it's just good to come in a very physical way, to kneel down before God and say, Lord, I can't, but you can. Lord, I don't understand, but you've got it. Lord, I'm weak, but you are strong. And to know, if you want to ask others to come and pray with you, we need that community. Others, you may have questions about this hope and what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. If you have a question about that today, I want you to know this is a safe place to ask that. And this is what we'll do. When you come forward and you say, I want to know about following Jesus as my Lord and Savior, we may walk with you out and just sit down in one of the Sunday school rooms to talk about it. We may just get information to contact you this week because we don't want to rush through that discussion. It's important. It's eternally important. But today may be that initial step that you take to say, I just want to know what it means to believe. You may need to formally align yourself with Trinity Baptist. You need to have a discussion about church membership. Whatever the need is, how would the Holy Spirit have you respond? Father, thank you for the hope you give us, a hope that does not disappoint. Father, I pray that you would be honored and glorified in how we seek that hope. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, my Lord. Amen. Let's stand together and as we sing, if you need to step out, please come.